Welcome to Whisper Town, provocative topic discussed freely. My name's Anthony, and I've got two heroes with me today for this episode. I have Margaret and I have Michael. How are you doing, guys? Oh, yeah, we're good. Sure. We're good, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anytime. No, I appreciate both of you taking the time to, to join me for this podcast at this very, very busy time. Um, I just want to start, really. The, the name of this episode is called COVID-19 through the eyes of heroes mm-hmm. and this pandemic has affected a lot of people across the globe yeah. and as two heroes working on the front line I was really keen to speak to you just to find out what it's been like so I'm going to start with Margaret okay. and I'd like to simply ask you what has, has it been like on the front line dealing with COVID-19? Wow. Um, to be 100% honest, for me, I, I, well, I, I guess I am kind of um, a blasé kind of person, shall I say? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's actually been insightful. I wouldn't um, say that my experience has been negative in any way, actually, to be honest with you. I actually think it's been quite a humbling experience. Um, obviously working with the doctors and um, the nurses, healthcare officials and stuff, I literally work directly with them all. So for me, I, I would say it's been a very humbling experience. I mean, I have witnessed people dying. I have witnessed dead bodies being taken out. Um, I have seen a lot, but if anything, I think it's made the whole situation more surreal Yeah. Um, for me. Personally, um, I would say uh, my whole experience has been great. I, I can't actually speak negatively on the situation. It's, it's in the hospital, I guess, you kind of see um, people who are in a worse position than you are. And if you're the kind of person who has that kind of um, nurturing, should I say, use the word nurturing kind of sense? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. for you, I think that you're more inclined to want to help and want to do more. Um, yes. So, for me, I would say, I would say, I for me, I don't even classify myself as a hero. I actually feel like I could have still done a lot more. Um, for people, it is a very humbling experience. You see families. I mean, I've had people asking me on Facebook, "Can you please and go to ward number this to go and check on my dad because they're trying to call through the hospital and no one's answering." Yeah. No, I'll just go and quickly do that because that will be my good deed of the day. <laughs> oh, no, that's and, good. Like just things, things like that. I guess um, I think they don't tell you really what really goes on behind the scenes. And when you're there, I mean, most people would probably think that they're probably crazy to uh, experience such, but it's not. It, the environment's quite an optimistic environment. I would say at okay. best, people stay cheerful and happy. So I think, yeah. Definitely, definitely for me anyway, it's been a humbling experience. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
considering what you're dealing with, I mean, mm-hmm. you definitely sound very sort of courageous and, and, and strong to have been able to, you know, deal with all those emotions and what you're seeing each day. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I think there was a day where I was uh, going into a room because we had to on the whole PPE and stuff. Um, yeah. And I noticed there was a, a young black girl in there. <laughs> uh, a room full of um, very, well, the older generation, should I say. And then there was one young black girl that was in there lying on the bed. And I think for me, I think that was the day it probably hit me that, yeah, you're really in this now. Because it wow. probably resembles myself. I probably saw myself there and it hits you at that point. And you do sometimes have to take a step back and breathe for a minute and think, oh, this could, God forbid, this could be me, but, um, I don't know. <laughs> it, it didn't wow. stop me. I just had the belief that no, I wasn't going to die and something would happen to me. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and Michael, you know, what has it been like for you on the front line? Um, it's been, it's been a life-changing experience, to be honest. Um, it's really, it's really been a, an experience that brings out your character. Because, um, I know, you know, people say heroes and stuff. Um, and I understand that perspective. But for me, it was like, it literally drew out every part of me, man. It drew out my, wow. my substance, you know, what I really believe in, how I really care for people. Um, how I care for myself, you know, it, yeah. it brought out so many things, you know, because um, it got to a stage where I had lost someone in every part of 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 my kind of surroundings. You know, I'd I'd lost like wow. a uh, pastor of my church. I'd lost a friend. I'd lost a friend's father. I'd lost wow. a colleague, and this is all within a space of a month. So it really, it was emotionally just. Um, a roller coaster emotionally because yeah. it was the it was the challenge of okay I live because I, I I was staying in a house well I'm still I'm staying in a household where there's six of us seven of us seven of us you know in yeah. one house you know um two two of them are over the age of sixty five you know what I mean uh yeah. and and it got to a stage where I was like okay if I because I'm going to the front line if I mm-hmm. catch something. I could bring it home and I could do something serious. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? But then at the same time, I'm like, okay, am I just going to not go into work then? Mm-hmm. And and it was, it would, you know, really that stage, because I had like, you know, family members begging me, like, look, don't go, like, please don't. You're putting us at risk. Don't. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do? And that was a difficult, that was a difficult decision for me. And I had to make certain mm-hmm. adjustments you know, for that, you know, I had to make sure when I come back, no one sees me for at least 30 minutes to an hour. I go through this whole cleaning ritual routine, you know, I get rid of the clothes. You understand? It, you know, I, it was, it was, and I did that every day. I'm still doing that. I did it this morning. Um, wow. And, and, and it's, diff, it's, it's just, honestly, it's an experience. I never, I never wish to relive again, but if it does happen, I'm prepared. That's the way I see it. Um, and I think the most difficult part really was getting used to 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 death, not just of your patients, but of mm. the people you care about. You know, I lost a friend last night. 
um, to COVID, my age, 32 years old. And, wow. um, you know, that, it hit me differently, man. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even really cry or even, f- it just hit differently because I was like, it, it's almost like a rite of passage now. You know, it's, it's like, wow, like I have to deal with the reality of death on my doorstep as well as at my workplace, you know? Um, yeah. so that was that was just mad difficult and then you know having a had a colleague that passed away as well and it was so crazy because you know you're working with each other you're even joking about COVID like you know uh, you know well let's hope we don't get it or this kind of stuff and then two weeks later yeah. you're doing a funeral in the middle of your shift over Skype <laughs> and then after 30 minutes you're back at work so it, it, it mentally it was you know it was, it was something else and you see colleagues senior colleagues that are afraid you know, I know I saw colleagues, yeah. you know, I look up to that, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want to be like you in 10, 20 years. And they were genuinely shaking, genuinely, <laughs> like they were mentally unstable. So, yeah, life changing experience, man, life changing. Yeah. And that leads me to sort of come on to my next sort of question really is. What type of emotional support have you guys on the front line been given? Because. I reckon what's happening right now to war. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the only difference here is that it's not a, a, a physical being that is attacking us. It's 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 a virus. Yeah. And the amount of trauma that this virus is causing for everybody, you know, but more importantly, the, the heroes that are on the front line trying to defend, you know, the country from this. Yeah. You know, there's got to be an emotional impact and support for that emotional impact. And I, I'm just curious to know what support is being given or has been offered or that you've undertaken, because I just can't imagine how how you'd be dealing with this without some sort of formal support. Um, I think, to be honest with you, a lot of us are going to need a, a, some support moving down the line. If I'm if I'm hundred percent honest, I feel like uh, I haven't. And this is just for me personally. I feel like I haven't dealt with this uh, as best as I can. Um, and you know, even with soldiers, you have that kind of post traumatic stress. You know, you yeah. have that that that. You know, when when you when things get normal, that's when you realize, okay, I'm not I'm not normal. Uh, something's not quite right. Um, and I mean now it, it it's better because uh, like in my hospital for instance you know we had a we had a lot of guys doing their own thing to support so we had like some churches some random churches that came over uh, because yeah. they can't do their Sunday services or whatever so what they would do is every morning they would st- stand outside on the grass on the, by the hospital and literally just like clap for you and cheer for you and just like give you a couple words of encouragement from a, from a distance. Oh, that's every nice. single, and they still do it. You know, this morning I was driving back home and they were there in the morning every day, you know, Monday to Sunday without fail. And initially I was like, oh, this nice. is silly, but oh my, the, the difference even that makes, um, you know, the, the local airports, uh, so like Ryanair, for instance, they they came into the hospital, so they 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 helped to transform one of the rooms into like a little um, they call it like the cockpit, but it's like they just have chairs and drinks for you, and just a little it's a getaway, it's a complete getaway. Like they've decorated it, so you walk in, then it's like you're not in the hospital. So you know, I was there for a little moment last night, and it and it helped. Initially, I thought, oh, this is silly when I first saw it, like maybe seven eight weeks ago, but now. <laughs> 
the little the little things the little the little thing even a phone call from someone because it got to a point where i would get home i would dream about <laughs> coronavirus i'd wake up i'd go to hospital you know covid19 i'm coming back i sleep i dream about coronavirus again and it's like you know um and then you still haven't dealt with a lot of the deaths properly as well so um but yeah there is, i think the support mainly comes from from volunteers more than the hospital the hospital send out emails saying if you need support we're here for you you know mm-hmm. thanks um yeah thanks but it's the it's the people it's the volunteers it's um people going out of their way just to just to be like you know shoulder on your arm and are you you know are you okay you know yeah. that kind of thing it, that that's what really and obviously family support as well that's helped a lot you know like i said i'm living with a group of seven so you know they they help as well they help as well i can imagine yeah i can imagine and margaret from from your point of view mm-hmm. i guess what support were you given or did you take up or and if I'm 100% honest with you, I didn't actually get any support. Um, but I wouldn't say that that was a negative on my end anyway. Um, I'm not too sure the depth or and the levels of support that the doctors get and the nurses get. But for me, personally, I didn't get any support. Um, I do believe there is ways to get support within the hospital, but that service actually usually wasn't given to me. I'm 100% honest Um However, I'm just naturally a very optimistic person. It has been hard dealing with death, um, especially from work colleagues as well, because there has been yeah. work colleagues that have died whilst I've been working. Um, so yeah, the, it, that part does get you. Um, I mean, even when patients die, if you're used to a certain patient who's been there longer than maybe a week or so, you do get used to some of the stronger characters and when they do pass away, you know, you get moments where the nurses are crying, um, yeah. healthcare workers are crying because they've dealt have a one-to-one relationship with a patient. And it does get difficult. Um, but um, no, for me, no support at the moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that we've all probably experienced is the amount of updates through social media, mm-hmm. the traditional broadcast media about COVID-19 from the first day it was sort of announced that it was in the country up until now. I know what I did really early on, I actually switched off all my notifications on my phone because even me, who's nowhere near the front line, mm. was just finding the updates were almost creating an, an anxiety and uh you know evoking fear in many ways so i i know i took i took off my notification on my phone um and i guess you know i was pretty hardcore but you know i didn't listen to any news for about a month i didn't watch any news updates all i was getting was sort of updates from my wife about you know what someone had said or what's coming out but other than that I, i personally wasn't getting anything firsthand yeah so i guess a question that I wanted to ask is how did the media updates regarding COVID-19 impact you and your colleagues considering that they are reporting about something that you're actually dealing with yeah. so Margaret you know did that have any impact on how you would feel going into work each day or did you just get used to it and it didn't make a difference you know, the funniest thing is is that um, before I went 
to um, the hospital, um, I was actually watching the media update. So just a brief history of how I actually got my job was because, um, one, they were paying me good money. Two, um, I was intrigued as to um, what was actually going to happen behind the scenes. And yeah. three, because I genuinely wanted to help people. So um, I'd already seen all the media updates and stuff before applying. And like you, I had a lot of anxiety. Um, and I think I can come, I'm one person that can become kind of obsessive <laughs> with new yeah. stories and, you know, of course. this many people have died today. What are we going to do? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, um, <laughs> and it's like, um, I guess once I finally did get the job and, you know, they were like, great. They literally threw me in my very first day on, um, well, this might not mean anything to the average person because we're not in the hospital. On medical, um, medic eight, um, which is a, um, a recovering COVID ward. Um, so those people okay. that recover from COVID, that was what I did in my very first day. I thought I was going to start out, you know, uh, something shallow, but no, they literally hit me into the first recovery ward they could find me. And then that was, that was what I did in my first day. So, um, it becomes so surreal when you're in the hospital and I guess because it's a different environment, you actually tend to forget about the media while you're there. Okay. Um, so I would say that for me, I was very obsessive beforehand and the moment I became, I actually got to the hospital, I don't think I actually checked any reports after that for another few weeks. I don't think I, I think it, it, it actually calms you down, ironically enough. It probably yeah. should yeah. do the opposite. But for me, I actually felt like being there calmed me down. It actually made me feel better. <laughs> I know it sounds ironic, doesn't it? Because realistically, it should actually kind of be the opposite. But for me, it calmed me down. Maybe because, you know, this um, propaganda of kind of scaring us into believing the dangers. I'm not saying there aren't dangers. There obviously are dangers. It's just that when you are in the danger zone, you get used to it. Yeah. Should I say? Yeah, so yeah, because yeah, you get used to it, 100%. you don't start looking at it as so much as a danger zone anymore. And you start to actually build relationships with um, hospital staff, doctors and nurses, everybody in the wards, um, even patients as well. You start to, as you start to build those relationships, you start to remember that these are actually people. Yeah. And it takes away the element of just the figures and the, you know, the kind of 750 people die today and yeah. you survive today. It's more so when you get, when you get the realism of, you know, thank God that this person's still alive to fight another day. Thank God that this person didn't die today. Thank God we're doing yeah. all we can to keep it just the narrative changes and, and you become a lot more relaxed and it's more it's more, it's not as, um, you know, I, I can definitely say that my, my anxiety went completely. Okay. Oh. It becomes so surreal. So it's more like every day now. It just becomes a new normal. <laughs> yeah. That's a phrase that has been, uh, repeatedly used. Uh, yeah. The, the, the new normal. The new normal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Michael, how how have the updates affected you in 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 your role? 
Uh, it, to be honest, it, it affected me in a very interesting way, actually, because I I was in a position where I worked throughout the whole from throughout the whole period. So from when COVID nineteen was first kind of being like you know talked about um, over in over in Wuhan, and then Italy and Spain, and and even when it started creeping up here, I was like at work constantly. So you know, I, I tend not to take any holidays around that time. So you know, January up until now, I've been full time, even overtime on it, yeah. and things for me were very backward. So like, for instance, I I first started noticing that, look, guys, there's people are losing their sense of taste and smell. This was around like March, mid-March, started noticing that there was quite a few people that I had known and in the hospital and staff that had lost their sense of taste and smell. Even my own mum and my sister actually lost around the same time. And I was like, well, okay, this is weird because only like, you know, my medical mind was like, viruses tend to do that. Mm. Um, so then later on it came out that oh yeah you, you could lose your loss your sense of taste and smell you know um, I was like on, on ITU so they spend us around for a bit so you know I, I work as a surgeon normally but then they, when we're not operating yeah. they send us to the COVID wards or, or, or they send us to ITU to help out mm. and I looked at, and you know you walk into to ITU and I was like wow there's a lot of dark faces here you know, yeah. and it was it, it was proportionally wrong. And I remember I made a, I messaged a group of mine, have a group of colleagues, and I was like, "Look, guys, there's a lot of there's a lot of ethnics here. You know, a, a lot proportionally that are on the ventilators and stuff. It's, it's a bit weird." Yeah. And and um, at the time they were like, "No, you know, it's because you know you're you're more sensitive to it, and because you know you're an ethnic minority, so you look at that and you and and you kind of it, it hits you harder." But no, it's not. It's not. And I was, it, it just, it bugged me. So, you know, I started asking other colleagues in other hospitals and it was the same experience there. And, um, you know, I think about four weeks later, it came out that, you know, BMAE are at an increased risk of, 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 of um, symptomatic COVID. And so for me, it was very backward. So the media was like catching yes. up to what I was experiencing. And they were like sometimes three, four weeks behind, if I'm honest. Um, and like, I think it made me to realise that actually, in this situation, I can't really rely on the media. No. Um, I can't. No. Like, I realise that now they're way behind, honestly. And I still, yeah. you know, uh, statistics lag. You know, statistics lag behind what's actually happening, right? So if you're in a battle, you, you only count the, the amount of soldiers that have died afterwards. <laughs> so I, I couldn't wait yeah. until the battle was over to, to start making up, con- making conclusions or, 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 you know, making adjustments. So from very early in, in March, I remember I was already telling my family, look, okay, I think we've got, I think we've got it now. Like it's here. So everyone, you know, distance yourself. Don't go out, stay here. You know, don't do this. If you get this symptom, you know, you, you just know that look, this is what you've got. Look out for this and look out for that. Yeah. Um, so for me, it made me less dependent on the media and more dependent on what I was seeing on ground. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. And I became a bit more of a forerunner for stuff. So, you know, I was like pushing the whole, let's get because we have a group of black surgeons uh uk black surgeons and we there's only about 200 of us in the group but we were like look we got we got to do this we got to look into this guys we got we have to because no one else is going to we have to we have to we got to put pressure on the bma we got to put pressure on people to say look guys this is a thing this is not an accident this is statistically significant you know why is there more like significantly more people of certain ethnicity that are worse off and it, yeah. it turns out, because we were looking at just doctors, but it turned out to be like a widespread thing. Like even in the US, they're seeing it amongst just not even 
doctors, just people as a, as a whole. Yeah. Um, so it raised a bigger question, and it made me realize that actually we don't know a lot more. We don't know a lot about 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 this. This is this is new, and the media is kind of behind. So if anything, we're the ones on the ground that are going to have to report what we see as quickly as possible yeah. to get accurate information out there. So um, yeah. So I've got a question on that, and it's a question yeah. for both of you. So. I'm a black male, and based on what the the media are saying, you know, I'm I'm probably at higher risk than the average non-black male that's out there that's not from an ethnic minority. Now, I've been scratching my head about this, mm-hmm. and I've got a genuine question: Are black and minority ethnic people pound for pound? more susceptible to chronic illnesses than the indigenous white man of this country and or uh, do socio-economic factors have a direct link to said chronic illnesses because Mm. if there is a direct link and this link is being extended to covid as to say okay well your community is more likely to suffer from chronic illnesses because, for example, you have poor diet and don't exercise as a broad brush generalization. So you guys should expect to be more susceptible. Mm. Um, now, I'm generalizing and assuming just to create a point. Well, um, well, Michael could probably correct me on this if I'm wrong oh, because sorry. he's a doctor. But my... Um, good knowledge and my good assumptions would be that um, the uh, majority of um, white middle class people are O-blood types Um, and in saying that (laughs) we kind of categorise the O-blood type as the the good blood. A lot of them a lot of the middle class uh, Caucasians are also um, O-negative and again, we also classify O negative as what they call, well, street terms as the good blood. Um, um, I'm also O, blood, blood type myself. Um, however, I think um, when I was reading up about blood groups and blood types, and Michael again, you can put me from actual doctor, um, is that the O, the o negative people, their blood it has better. Um, on, on layman's terms, it, it has better fighting spirit. Um, it fights better against the infections. It fights better against just general things in life. Um, whereas I think a lot of um, minority bloods are under the other blood groups which are not so um, good with, with fights, shall I say. But Michael, That's very, very interesting, Club. I've never probably, correct me actually I'm heard that as a as a thing if i can describe it like that like Mm -hmm. someone's health or susceptibility to illnesses and disease can be broadly categorized by blood type i Uh, think well i do think well michael again can correct me i do think that it's not just obviously specifically just fully the blood type but i think that that does play an important part i mean if you've got own negative people that can um because their genotype allows them to give blood to everybody else. 
that's positive yeah. and negative um, because that's what they call the good blood. Um, you know, just in general, they are classified in layman's terms as the good blood. And when you research O negative blood groups, it tends to be the white middle class race that are predominantly O negative. I'm definitely going to be Googling that immediately <laughs> after this podcast. Yeah, but I... I like I said, Michael's the doctor. Anthony's, so he... Anthony's, Anthony's um, antennas are going on this one. I can, <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, that's good. Um, I think, to, to me, I think it's, it's a dangerous topic because um, you it, it, to, to say that there is a weaker... Uh, you know, when you, when you step into that kind of realm of generalising... Mm. Um, a disease because i think the initial question was are, are, are you know certain ethnic groups more susceptible to chronic illnesses yeah. you see what i'm saying and and to say that there's a group of people that are more susceptible to chronic illnesses by race is almost saying that okay because your skin is dark or because your skin is light you are a a, a more adapt human being to living um which is not which is not you know, it's not that's not really scientifically proven, yeah. if you see what I mean, because it's it's such a broad variety of people. You know, you have white skinned people who are Chinese, who are, uh, you know, who are um, from Sweden, Norway, from Britain, from America. You know, it's a wide spectrum of of people. You then you can, and then you have black people who are Brazilian and black yeah. people who are Sudanese and yeah. South African. So, so it's, a, it's a very broad. It's it's not as 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 uh, black and white as that, if I could say it that way but if we look at um so this one thing actually i was looking at and 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 we have to be very specific about coronavirus specifically so there are certain genetic associations with some illnesses you know which we appreciate in the medical profession and in the medical field so for instance when you're taking a history from someone who's sick who sees you for the first time um you you do ask about okay what is your ethnicity and the reason you do that is because certain ethnicities are more susceptible to certain diseases. So, like for instance, certain Jewish people are susceptible to certain cancers. Um, certain certain African individuals are, are susceptible to diabetes and hypertension. The same with certain Asian individuals. Um, certain uh, Caucasian individuals are more susceptible to autoimmune diseases. You know, like hypothyroidism and that kind of stuff. So, it, it, it's 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 more about the genetic association and your genetic uh, link to a certain type of diseases because some you know we all get diseases we all do um and just some people have more of a prevalence of a certain type of disease now is it because of their skin color just their skin color i i doubt that i think it's more to do with their genetic makeup where they've genetically you know been for a long time their, their family connections the food they eat the, the the environment they're exposed to and that and that and that yeah. kind of stuff because what you actually see is when you have an ethnic minority who moves to a so there's a famous japanese study for instance when you have um, an ethnic minority from africa who um, moves to to the uk for instance that person has the same risk of an African, of developing African diseases, right? But the child of that person who's of the same colour um, will have the, the, the same risk of developing the local disease for that population. You see it? So, yeah. yeah so you, you, so if, if, if it was a situation where your skin colour carries all of your genetic risks with you, then what we would see is that in that child who's born uh, to parents that have migrated, that child should still have the same risks uh, of the diseases from the African indigenous tribes whereas that doesn't happen they acclimatize and they get the same risk factors for the local disease so there's that aspect to it but with regards to covid in like specifically covid um 
there, there was one thing that really did kind of uh, make my ears to, to, to light up a bit. And this was in the early days. Because one thing I know is that like in high, high blood pressure, for instance, black people specifically, so they, they specify Afro-Caribbean specifically, are not allowed to be given a certain type of high blood pressure medication. And and they noticed this. This was in ni- around nineties, early nineties, and and we're wondering why can't they? Why can't we give this to to, to 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 darker people? They don't respond to it, right? And the reason they realize is that we have a level of uh, an enzyme in our in our blood systems. It's yeah. it's called ACE ACE. You probably would have heard of this, Margaret. It's it's, it's ACE. You like, uh, and the medication is called an ACE inhibitor. It's very famous, like it's common commonly used. And they 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 say that we don't respond very well to it, so we have to give you another type of medication that helps with your high blood pressure. So when you look at the ACE enzyme, which is that enzyme which the medication blocks, which wasn't really responsive for the, the black people, um, it's, yeah. it's in your lungs. It's, it's mainly predominantly filled in your lungs. And one thing they, they, they mentioned is that COVID affects the activity of that enzyme. So, you know, is there a link between the level of the enzyme, not necessarily your skin color per se, but the level of that enzyme and the fact that a lot of ethnic minorities have a... Uh, a, a lower level of that enzyme activity. And so that enzyme doesn't respond the way it's supposed to or the way the majority of people's enzymes respond. And so that makes them react differently to to the COVID. So it, it, I think the question has to be very specific because I've learned that in, in medicine, if you have a blanket, when you when you blanket something and you and you haven't targeted the specific mechanism of action, you run the risk of... of um, oversimplifying and actually putting people in a lot of trouble um and i think with covid because we don't quite understand it yet it's difficult to make those kind of generic assumptions at the moment um i definitely know there's a link between the ace uh but again you know we haven't got enough studies to prove that another thing is vitamin d you know uh in, in wow. africa we haven't, we haven't got a lot of people we haven't got a lot of people who, who who've had like high numbers of covid and high fatalities because you know they say okay in africa you're not really testing because you haven't got the equipment fine but we haven't got the same number of fatalities uh compared to america compared to uh the uk and these are places you know where, where it's really hit the hardest and if you look at the ethnic minorities in those places they don't get exposure to sunlight they it's it's it's, it's almost a known fact that if you are a darker skinned individual and you're in um, like the western world like uk parts of america you have low vitamin d it's standard they don't even need to test you much yeah. of the time you know um and again does that have an effect does having low vitamin d does that have an effect on on on, on coronavirus so I, I don't think it's just the skin color per se that i think that's that's too simple and too easy yeah uh, yeah but can i can i just add? yes of course uh, so in terms of people's blood types yes um like the omegatives the a-positives yeah. yeah and so forth yeah would you say that that it could also say some part um, I think I think again it's the mechanism of action you see, like okay let, let, let's change it from bl- blood to something else. Let's say instead of old old negative blood being good blood, if, and, I, and I, I'll dispute why we call it good blood. What what makes it good? Um, yeah. But that's I guess that's a topic for another, another day. day. Yeah. yeah. But let's say let's say someone who's got a good a good foot for instance yeah. or good feet. Yeah. Let's just change it to good feet. So yeah. some people have bad feet. Some people have good feet. Because you have good feet, does that mean you're not going to get coronavirus? And because someone has bad feet, does that mean he is? It's the it's the same. It's kind of the same blanket 
statement. You've just taken the term good to mm-hmm. mean some kind of protection against any kind of illness. But the correlation yeah. isn't there. The correlation isn't there at all. Because yeah. somebody who's got O negative blood can get an infection in the same way someone that has O, uh, o positive blood can get an infection. But aren't they, well, aren't they more susceptible to be able to fight against their antibodies are more susceptible to be able to fight against disease um, in a high, in a, in a, in a, in a much more, um, or, what's the, can I say, in a much, a, a slightly more aggressive way than another blood group. No, no, I'll, I'll, de- I'll definitely say no. No, no, I'll definitely say no. I see there's so many factors involved in that. Mm. Um, so many factors involved in that. So, you know, when it comes to blood group, it, it, it's about the expression of your red blood cell when you look at blood yeah. groups. So mm-hmm. um, they express different um, kind of antibodies against, to, to, to kind of declare themselves, if you see yeah. what I mean. So that whole blood grouping system was made for transfusion purposes. Yeah. So we know whose blood can mix with whose. Um, yeah. And you have like universal donors. So people who can, whose blood can mix with anybody. Uh, and you have people that, you know, are very restricted on who they can give blood to. So, uh, you know, oftentimes they'll say, oh, the good blood is the person's blood who can mix with anybody. But that, mm-hmm. that doesn't, that has not, that, that, the correlation between that and your ability to fight off infection is, is non-existent. You know, they, they, that's, that's the reason why they call it good. And this is the problem with it, really. You know, you call mm-hmm. something, if you call something good, yeah you, you you automatically assume that it's like this superhero type i don't know i, I don't know what, it's wrong you know you really really shouldn't be calling it good we should call it like in the medical world we don't call it good we never we never say oh this is good blood this is bad blood we say this is blood that is universal universally available to be donated so mm-hmm. we call them universal donors uh, and this is blood where they can only get their own blood type yeah you know but we would know because it, it, it then runs the risk of yeah being you know utilizers because then everyone will say okay just give me the good blood but well, well, that's not the truth of you know that's yeah. that, doesn't quite work like that in fact there are some people that you can't just universally give even that blood to there's some people who yeah. uh, they can manage that blood for a while but they need their own specific their type own of blood yeah but that's yeah. that that's again that's nothing to do with your ability to develop COVID-19 or your ability to succumb to an infection see they're very very different yeah. different mechanisms mm-hmm. your blood group is about your red blood cells but yeah. when it comes to infection we're talking about a different blood cell group we're talking about your your ability for your white blood cells to work mm-hmm. uh, your ability for them to produce antibodies to a certain yeah. antigen so this is a completely different even though they're both in your blood but they're, they're completely yeah. different components of blood if you see where if you see where i'm coming from mm-hmm. um so i mean at the moment there's no studies at all to to suggest that there's um there's a genetic difference in blood grouping for your propensity to develop covid19 nothing at the moment um, but there are studies to suggest vitamin d so mm-hmm. people increase in severity with people who have lower levels of vitamin d that's known that's recognized um so we, we hello hello yeah yeah, yeah. Sorry. so yeah so i think to me i think the most important thing is to look at the trends and mm-hmm. and and to really sit down and analyze the data properly and analyze what we're seeing because it's very easy and that's the, you know the temptation to make a blanket to blanket it and just make it easy and put it into a basket and throw it away but um I think that's not what's going to get us out of here. I think we need to understand the disease. Um, and history teaches us that, you know, if you understand the disease well, you can fight it better. You know, if you understand yeah. your enemy, you can attack it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you assume 
or, or you, you, you allow propaganda to dictate how you portray your enemy, then we're going to be in a longer battle than, than we anticipate, to be honest. So it's a, it's a quite interesting point you made there about vitamin D. Yeah. So I'm, I'm no medical professional at all. Yeah. So I am someone who spent a lot of time researching lots of different things about lots of different things. Yeah. And one of, one of those things was vitamin D. Yeah. And the fact that in the black community specifically, yeah, yeah, we are almost vitamin D deficient by default. Yes, 100%. That's correct. Especially in the West. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. black people who live in the UK, black people that live in the US are vitamin D deficient by default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I found out about, and I don't have any statistics to back this up, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say right now it's anecdotal. Okay. Yeah, that the vitamin D deficiency is linked to severe chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. um, which would affect any community, yeah. but because black people are specifically deficient in that vitamin, mm-hmm. that there's certain illnesses that essentially are more prevalent in the black community. For example, I'm aware of prostate cancer, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, Linked to that, in my own time, I've tried to do research about diet okay. and the link to, uh, you know, between the standard, you know, black African and or black Caribbean diet and comparing that to a standard European or more specifically, a standard Mediterranean diet mm. and see, is there is there a clear link between diet yeah. disease and yeah. exercise yeah, yeah, that we could generalize across let's say the black community versus you know the european community to say actually you guys are worse off because you don't eat well enough you don't take any supplements and you don't exercise well enough mm-hmm. and that is linked to a myriad of diseases and ailments that maybe not as researched as much as we'd like specifically for our community and or mm. the the knowledge about that is equally not as sort of broadcasted as other mainstream illnesses that affect everybody mm. such as cancer for example so i guess the question i have again for both of you is do you see that generally you know, and, and, and I know we'll probably need a separate ex- episode to talk about diseases and, and, and how it affects specific communities. But what I just want to understand from both of you is if that pattern is something you, you see as a potential risk factor for COVID-19 specifically. Uh, yeah, go on, go on, oh. Margaret, sorry. Um, yes. I think it's a tricky one, isn't it? To be honest. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, at stage one, you kind of have to look at what, where can we find um, vitamin D sources in what kind of foods? Does that also equate to the average diet of, you know, the black community? And what we tend to eat on a daily basis, like the eggs, the cheese, 
you know, the yogurts and the, and the water and things like that. I mean... So, so <laughs> I'm just going to jump in there. The problem with vitamin D yeah. is that there are very few foods yes. that can have it in it. That's the problem, yeah. I think, with vitamin D. So vitamin D primarily comes directly from the sun. Yes. And black people have a particular issue where we have a natural sunscreen against yeah. uh, the catalyzation of vitamin D in the yeah. skin, which prevents us from deriving the mineral directly from the sun. Mm-hmm. So I guess I only found out pretty much by chance, again, doing some random research yeah. and then knowing that, okay, well, you need to take a supplement and it's advised you should be taking a supplement every single day. Yeah. And actually a standard dosage of vitamin D mm-hmm. is not sufficient for you as a black man. Actually, you, you need a, yeah. um, what's the word? Um, a condensed, no, not condensed, yeah. what's the right word? Man? <laughs> you, yeah, you need like a high, they call it a treatment dose. Yeah. So like yeah. a, you need a, you need a higher dose. Yeah, that's correct. That's, that's, yeah. You need a high dose like more than 100% of what yeah. the Caucasian sort of uh, equivalent would need yeah. you need like I've got one now I think it's 4x 4x the daily equivalent of a, of a Caucasian person that's what I need to take daily yeah, yeah. I just I, I don't know so it penetrates the Caucasian skin a lot more easier than it does with the black skin yeah. because we have that's... a natural defense to yeah. the sun with yeah. our skin yeah. tone right yeah. and yeah. then yeah. also Vitamin D is hardly in any foods, but the foods that it's most predominantly found in are eggs, cheese, yogurt, butter, water. And those, what I would say, is not necessarily what the majority of the black generation would eat every day, to be honest. I can't generalize that statement, but I would, you know, if I was to go, well, let me speak for my own, through my own eyes. Yeah. And not to generalize, but if I was to predominantly go to a aunt's house or an uncle's house for the weekend and said I wanted to eat breakfast and stuff, would I be predominantly eating cheese? I'd very much doubt it. Would I very much predominantly be eating yogurts? <laughs> no. Um, would I predominantly be, you know, eating, drinking things like, you know, would I be eating sauce of flour? Very unlikely. It's more like I'd probably be, but I would probably might be eating eggs and yam because I'm of Nigerian descent, or maybe egg and, and bread. <laughs> yeah, you know that. So probably the foods that, well, the only foods that vitamin D is probably found in, I would say through my own eyes, I'm speaking through and not generalizing all black people. You know, it, it's predominantly in the community that I see. Those are not the foods that we would tend to eat every day. Yeah. Whereas if yeah. I was to yeah. go to um, one of my Caucasian friends' houses, I'm very sure I would be offered scrambled eggs on toast um, with a bit of cheese and possibly some, you know, I'm not um, generalizing everybody. So I'm just saying through my community of friends and through what they would generally eat, that would be more of my assumption. So they would probably get it through the food as well as through the skin. Whereas the black people would have the lack of the food and the lack of vitamin D through the skin. And predominantly, if I was to tell, you know, I'm, I'm not very good with keeping up with tablets, if I'm honest. I don't know how many people are to keep up with um, an everyday dosage for probably the rest of their lives. Would they be doing that? I would and, and, so. and, and, there, and there is the question, because... Um... <laughs> yeah. 
a lot of people don't realize that they actually have to do it yeah. and, and 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 that is the problem because yeah. i'll be honest with you on my desk right now mm-hmm. i've got two bottles of vitamins so i've got yeah. let me read this one there are other brands available but there's holland and barren radiance multivitamin and minerals mm-hmm. which is just a broad brush of multivitamins yeah. and it's got a 50 percent daily recommended dosage for vitamin d mm-hmm. and then in my drawer i have um the i'm going to get the brand for you now others are available yeah. uh, vita biotics ultra that's oh, the one yeah. ultra vitamin d mm. uh, 1000 i forget the uh the measurement here it's ug i forget what ug stands for um one tablet a day but it's 4x what you're supposed to have so mm-hmm. I'll probably keep up now because of COVID. I'll probably keep up with the multivitamins now more than yeah. just the vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hedge my bets. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So exactly. That's the thing. So it, I, I think that pretty much. And to be honest with you, um, I will say this. I've actually been for a vitamin D test and I'm, I, I'm actually not. I do not lack vitamin D, ironically. But I think that's also based on the fact that um, I actually get sunburn very easily. Even though uh, I'm black, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I think there are a fair few of us um, that are out there, um, and um, I've always been told to get something, but I never do. So my skin burns and it feels literally every single time I really? come back out of the sun. Yeah, it does. Wow. I, I would you, would you say you're of the Margaret? Sorry, to would you say you're of the lighter skinned persuasion? No, I'm not. That's the okay. irony. Um, okay. It's my mum. I think it's genetic because my mum is the same. Um, I'm not sure about her mother, but my mum and me are exactly the same. My older sister and my younger sister are not, though. That's the irony. But then every time I go to hot country, I come back. My skin is literally peeling, like in 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 four that's, that's, that's so, a um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really annoying though because it, I have to go through a whole peeling session. It's really, really? wow. Is back, it? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Cause, um, like, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very crazy. So yeah. I would say, um, I'm trying to get sunburnt for years, but it's not working. No, for me, <laughs> literally, like I remember, I had a whole year. Where I was just literally putting every time I, because I was going on holiday, like going a lot of places for, and every time I, my skin would never recover, so I'd have to keep putting oil in it just to get mm. rid of the peeling. It it's, it's a nightmare for me, to be honest. But um, wow. I think mine is um, my mum's the same, and she's. I mean, I, my mum's probably slightly darker in complexion than I am. Okay. Um, but I am of dark complexion. I am of a darker skin tone. Um, I'm okay. of a fairer skin tone. Okay. I would say like yeah. I'm more of a brown, browner kind of skin tone. Um, but yeah, my skin and my mum's skin, we, we very easily burn, ironically. Um, so I'm good, good. My good guess is we are penetrating in a good way, <laughs> but getting sunburnt at the same time. Um, because yeah. I was taking vitamin D's as well, um, turmeric one, but I thought, let me go for a test. I go for tests for everything when I get paranoid about something. So I tested my vitamin D levels. I tested my iron levels. My iron levels as well are through the roof. They I said I should, I should actually. Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, I don't know how, but I'm in, like, like I said, in general, and as well, to be honest, in general, I actually do eat a lot of cheese, yogurts. Those are probably my favorite things to eat. Oh, there you go. So I don't know again. Mm. So if we, if it's answering that question, probably in that sense of the food and the skin penetration, I would, I would, yeah, that would be my generation through my eyes. But I'm sure 
it may not be the same. It might not be the same for absolutely all of black communities. Okay. What do you think, Michael? No, no, to be honest, this is this is a big this is a big topic for me. This is something I'm looking into personally. A few of my colleagues are looking into since COVID nineteen started. Um, I I I do feel I don't I know the media hasn't really pushed on it yet, and they're still trying to find out. But I do I do feel from my experience and from the research that I've been doing, um, like actual scientific research, you know, looking at vitamin D levels in patients that have COVID, there's definitely a big correlation between mm-hmm. a low vitamin D level and your ability to deal with chronic illnesses or critical illnesses, to be specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the data's out there about this, you know. Um, if, uh, ironically, I remember in Italy. Uh, which is weird because they don't have that many darker skinned individuals like kind of you know like dark dark skinned individuals mm-hmm. they don't have many of those um and they looked at it and 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 they saw that in their itu so they were focusing just on their itu uh and they looked at uh, a number of patients that had come in just to itu and they looked at their vitamin d levels and their ability to to to, to kind of be discharged from the itu so not die mm-hmm. of whatever illness it was and there was a positive yeah. correlation between low vitamin d level and your ability to withstand critical illnesses mm-hmm. so they they first like looked at this this is like early 2016 and then they they asked other people to start looking into it as well and they collected data um on the same kind of study question and saw the same responses in different places and this is across the globe so you know vitamin d is not a new phenomenon um and and it, it, it it's already appreciated that if you have low vitamin D levels, your ability to fight off critical illnesses is significantly reduced, particularly if you're above the age of 65. So this is not new. Um, now, if you look and, at- and, 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 and that's irrespective of ethnicity. That is just irrespective. a fact irrespective of, of medicine. Ir- irrespective of ethnicity. Irrespective. It just so happens that a large population of migrants from africa or caribbean countries that have come over have low levels of vitamin d so to to put things into perspective for you newborn babies for instance yeah a sign of low vitamin d uh is um because vitamin vitamin d helps with your calcium regulation and stuff and it it helps to to give you good bones you know i don't use the word good but it helps to solidify your bones make them stronger and stuff helps to build them up so what happens is that in newborn babies, to Af- particularly to African and Caribbean families, they tend to have this phenomenon. I don't know if you know anyone in your families uh, that have bow legs. Yeah. Yeah? You got someone yeah. in your family who's got bow legs? Okay. No, no, but I know of the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah it's very yeah. common in... In in, in 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 darker skinned in the babies of darker skinned individuals. In fact, my brother had had, had bow leg as well. And 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 they relate it to low vitamin D directly. And they have to actually treat them with vitamin D. So, but you don't see it as often. It's not as prevalent in the Caucasian population, and it's just because of that ability to get sunlight in. Um, mm. Like for me, I've been trying to get sunburnt for years. Yeah. Like, really? I, just, I just wanted to experience. Like, what is this sunburn thing? Like, me, when I'm in the sun, thing. my skin just starts to glow. It's like it wakes up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I swear. Like, but I'm of the the darkest skin that you. I'm as dark as it gets. I don't think you can really get much darker. <laughs> to be honest. But um, and 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 it's a thing where I have to take my vitamin D, like I have to. Um, yeah. I've been taking it from from before, so you know. Um, so I think that's something that really needs to be looked into because that's something that I can. We've got hard evidence for. We can yeah. see the causation. We can see the association. We've got hard evidence for, and I think that's how we have to look into things. And 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 to me, I think the media are not going to do that for you. Yeah. Um. They're not going to, they're not, so we have to look into these things. And the problem is we haven't got that many, 
we're coming in now. There's a lot of new, like young, um, and even some senior ethnic or African and Caribbean doctors who've taken a particular liking to this topic and so are pushing it now. But if you haven't got those people that that, that are willing to push that topic, you're not going to get the answer about this. Mm. And they just make it into a blanket, you know, it's just a black thing. You're just weaker. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas it's not it's not that simple. You know, you've really got to understand how this works. So, you know, yes, so definitely vitamin D level. Yeah. Can I just ask you, um, yeah. Since you've got the diagnosis, you've got the research about the vitamin D. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it make you eat more? foods that have vitamin D in them. 100%. I, I do look for them, but they're not enough. You only get 10% yeah. through your diet. It's not enough. It's nowhere near yeah. enough. You, it's sunlight. It's sunlight. And the problem is we we work indoors now a lot. So, you know, yeah. as in the hospital, you're indoors for more than 12 and a half hours a day. 100%. You know, you're not, and you come out at nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're doing a night shift, you're going straight to bed, you're turning off all the lights. Mm-hmm. So you're getting no sunlight so by def- by default you're 90% deficient every day mm, right. and by you will default. find probably a lot more um, um, black people just don't like being in the sun to be honest yeah, 100%. we don't if, like and, tan we don't you know well, see, I mean, I, I'd prefer to be in the sun than in the rain to be honest but um, <laughs> I absolutely you know, hate the sun because I know I have to go through a whole book yeah but it's definitely it's 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 mm. definitely something to look into and i definitely mm. feel and this is just my hypothesis you know you know mm. I, i'm sure maybe in two months time you'll hear it you know but what i'm seeing is that vitamin d levels definitely have a correlation with how people yeah. recover from this illness and it's also got correlations with other illnesses as well mm. you know yeah no there's no doubt about that there's that that's i think that goes about saying actually i think this is mm. known it's not even conspiracy or anything no this is this is known you know um yeah, yeah. so when you say this is known and, and i'm interested by this personally because i'm at a stage in my life where i am thinking about the other side and okay, yeah. longevity of life okay yeah and quality of life and length of life and the majority of things that i'm reading almost all linked back to diet and stereotypical deficiencies yeah yeah vitamins minerals yeah within our community as a whole so that vitamin d thing yeah is linked to so many other chronic illnesses that for my research and i'm no doctor and i don't have facts and figures to to present right now yeah disproportionately affect the black community and I genuinely don't think the average Joe in the black community is even aware of ha- um, the deficiencies that they may have by default and how their diet almost directly links to a number of common ailments, illnesses, mm-hmm. diseases that affect our community. So, I mean, we talked about vitamin D and, you know, I'm, certainly going to do more research yeah, about vitamin D yeah. and in direct correlation to COVID-19 because yeah. I'm very interested by that link because I've been scratching my head thinking well I know there's one thing that affects our community more than anyone else and my mind just went straight to vitamin D deficiency yeah. Yeah. and you know coincidentally vitamin D deficiency isn't something I hear too much about. Yeah. The only correlation to vitamin D deficiency I've heard from a 
non-black person mm. or something that I didn't research myself was that vitamin D deficiency is linked to rickets, which again is a bone it's issue a bone, yeah. similar yeah. to what Michael was just discussing. So, yeah. and that can affect anybody yeah. at any age yeah. from what I was reading. Yeah. So I am interested by that, but I am also interested to find out from, from both of you, and, and I'll start with Margaret on this one, mm. if there are any trends that you know you noticed mm -hmm. whilst dealing with uh, COVID patients or people that were recovering from COVID, um, were there any sort of odd trends that haven't been broadcasted by the mainstream media? You see, it's quite it's it's a it's a little bit of a difficult one for me because um, I think Michael. In, in your eyes, you managed to see a lot more of the um, the, the minorities in your hospital. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah. Whereas yeah. in the Peru, um, at the moment, there is about 10 COVID wards. Yeah. Um, sometimes they change depending on how many patients come in and out, who recovers and X, Y, Z and goes wherever. Plus you have the um, ITU unit and the critical care unit. Um, yeah. and I would say predominantly, I've been on every single one of those walks, and I would say predominantly in the Peru, the mm. um sector is actually the probably the over sixties Caucasian. That would be the majority of the patients that attend the Peru with COVID nineteen. It's yeah. not um in, but then I'm gonna say this to say that Orpington is predominantly a um, an older generation area uh, okay. of Caucasians. Yeah. So yeah. the majority yeah. of the people that live in oh, the area yeah. would be visiting the hospital. Yeah. yeah. So yes. um, I didn't really see that many ethnic minorities that had COVID nineteen. And when when I did, I would notice them because they would stand out like a sore thumb between mm, the over yeah. sixty five Caucasian patients and then one or two. I mean, we had a. 32 year old boy that came into the Darwin Ward, I think, about three weeks ago. Yeah. And he passed away within an hour. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that the, the minorities that I've seen, apart from the two girls, have all passed away. Um, whereas I would say that the 65 plus generation yeah. seems yeah. to be fighting longer and stronger but that wow. is a literally just from a like i said it's, it's such a small proportion of evidence i can't clarify that firmly but that would be the trend that i've seen so far um in that yes. hospital wow yeah in that hospital wow. um from the wards i've worked on and so forth but i mean there's in the Peru, there's even uh, pregnant women, women with COVID-19. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, this is it. And mm -hmm. I guess this is the whole purpose of inviting you both onto yeah. this podcast is, you know, none of this is supposed to be factual yeah. in many ways. It's more of me wanting to find out from your experience, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. your first-hand anecdotal experience of what you've seen. Yeah. Because actually... If we were all being interviewed by the mainstream media now, yeah. the first thing they would probably ask us for is facts and figures about <laughs> our our yeah. our anecdotes. Yeah. And the first thing we're going to say is, well, 
we don't have it, but we can certainly mm-hmm. tell you, or at least, yeah. you know, explain what, you know, people who have worked mm-hmm. on the COVID wards have seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's powerful. And what you've seen is powerful, yeah. you know, because that's coming from you. That's coming from what you've seen, you know, you're identifying what you thought and what you see. And, and it's up to others to form an opinion of that, but no one can take away your truth in many ways and, 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 and what you've experienced. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I would say those are, those were the things that I, I, I would say I've seen, but like I said, it's based on a, a very small minority because of the hospital um, rotation of patients, obviously predominantly older generation Asian um I, I yeah that's probably what i would say in my end okay thanks margaret and, and and michael you know what trends would you say that you picked up on i mean you've obviously spoke about the vitamin d yeah are there yeah. any other trends that you picked up on um yeah definitely i i would say um the the nature of the virus is is something that hasn't really been really appreciated in well in mainstream media anyway i think they've listed maybe about three or four symptoms i think the nhs website has three symptoms you know it says if you've got any of these three things then but it is i mean the symptoms are so wide and to me that's a shock you know because I'm, i'm used to you know in the hospital i'm so used to you've got this this and that okay this is the condition you've got you've got this symptom and that's it but with this disease that the symptoms vary so widely between different people it's unbelievable so from my experience uh, and i'm actually publishing research into this actually so this is all gonna go live pretty soon and i'm literally writing them up as we speak so it's not just talk but um women so women tend to have the younger women anyway that below 65 tend to have um less of the severe symptoms so they tend to get loss of taste and smell sometimes they might have a bit of diarrhea and a headache sit that that you know the younger women now the young men tend to do quite badly they tend to get hit with a fever um and and they're out you know fever muscle pain that tends to be their kind of remit um now the elderly tend to get the chest problems you know Mm. and it's quick um uh, I like you know I have a friend of, of uh, the father of a friend of mine he's a he's a doctor his dad's a doctor too close friends his dad inspired me a lot to go into what, uh, what I'm into at the moment and he literally yeah. day one was just like look I got a bit of shortness of breath you know maybe I should just go to the hospital and check it out next day they were like look your chest x-ray looks a bit bad you've got some stuff in your chest maybe we should put you on a ventilator then the the three days later he passed away and this is someone that walked into the hospital. Now, the, the, the wow. next trend I'm going to say is very controversial. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to get more evidence on it. So it's, it, at the moment, it's just something I've observed, but I need to look more into. I'm not saying this is a cause because this is a big deal. And I think it, if, if it turns out to be true, it will be a big, big issue. I think I but know what I, you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a trend, um, and a few of my colleagues are discussing this, there's a trend between early... ITU intubation, so putting people on a ventilator too early, yeah. uh, and death. Okay. So this is a big deal. This is something that I'm looking into at the moment, but it's very controversial mm. because it could put people. It can, yeah, it can get it can get a bit, um, yeah, that could get very political actually because yeah. 
that would mean that on a global scale or at least on a global Western scale, they they were too gung-ho and they may have inadvertently caused more people to die of this than needed to. Um, but I, yeah, but I am seeing that. So early ventilation, you know, so like in the case so, of... Like, so, yeah. so to interrupt, so yeah, yeah. just as a layman's sort of explanation oh, yeah, and yeah. someone who's not a medical guy in any way, shape or form, yeah, okay. yeah, how, and, and I accept that this is a unresearched trend yeah and you know you seeking the facts and figures to to to, to validate the, yeah. the the sort of trend or assumption that you've got yeah but yeah. how would early ventilation sort of exacerbate COVID-19 all right as a Concept. So, I mean, let, let, we we can talk it on two on two levels. One on the, on the trend. So, the amount of people that pass away in different hospitals, one when they're on the va- when they're on a ventilator is very high. We're talking about significantly high, fifty percent chance that if you've been put on a ventilator, you're going to die. Yeah. So it's that so that on a, on a trend wow. side of things, once you're on a ventilator, your chances of dying of COVID are significantly increased. That's yeah. one thing. Okay, so um, that that's that's from a trend perspective. So we see we know that that's something that we've seen. You put them on a ventilator, half of them are going to pass away, approximately. Um, wow. Now, when you now look at from a theoretical perspective, if you've got a lung disease or a a, a chest infection, let's put it like that. One of the things that is 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 encouraged before anyone gets any kind of machinery type support. Yeah. One of the things that is encouraged highly is physiotherapy on your chest. So that is breathing type exercises. They're forcing you to walk, forcing you to get up, forcing you to take deep breaths, forcing you to sit upright. You know, and if you've seen anyone who's had any chest infections, that's what that's the opposite of what they want to do. They want to lie down flat. They want to lay in bed all day. But the problem with that is that your lungs are like a balloon. Right. And 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 they expand with gravity. So if you stand up and you start doing breathing exercises, it expands your lungs so the oxygen can get into the the, the deepest, darkest corners of your lungs better. Um, And and, and what happens is that any fluid that's in your lungs push goes down to the bottom rather than spreading all around it. If you lie down, if you can imagine that. And so what that does is that increases your capacity to get oxygen uh, and, 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 and healing in those areas that need it. So more of your lung can heal better if you're if you're if you're doing more chest physiotherapy. So you're you're breathing more, you're standing upright, you're you're trying your best to, to get as much air into your lungs as possible, right? Yeah. So the the moment uh, and this is seen in anybody that's got a chest infection. So that's the process. You come in, you have a chest infection. They say, right, we're going to give you antibiotics, but we're also going to get you to to breathe, do big breathing exercises, and they bring people in to do that for you, get you to stand up, to sit up, that kind of stuff. Now, failing that, if somebody gets really unwell and they cannot breathe on their own, they cannot breathe on their own, then you put them on a ventilator because then the ventilator does the breathing for them, but they can't move. So you have to kind of turn them over from side to side, if that makes sense. So you turn them on their back, then turn them on the front and turn them on the back and turn them on the front and stuff. But that, that is not efficient. That is not as efficient as getting oxygen across the lungs as you would to stand up and to try and breathe on your own and really spread out your lungs by yourself. That's the best yeah. way to get the oxygen around. So, but it, it, that's the, that's the lace, that's the last stage. So you're only doing the ventilator part when, when everything else has failed. Do you, you, you get what I'm, do you, do you get what I'm saying? I understand. I understand. Yeah. So, so the, the but question you now you is, say that because, yeah, um, 
in the recovery ward for uh, the COVID-19, they refused to put at least 75% of the patients on ventilators. They actually make yeah, them no. cut them down. Yeah, yeah, the, it's coming out. It's coming the, out. That's why. <laughs> the, the corridors, they, they, and they also encourage them to um, yeah. tea and coffee. Yes, um, yeah, to, yeah. To put yeah. heat in the lungs, um, hot fluids, um, and for them to walk up as much and down as much as they can, possibly can. Yeah, um, yeah. So it is funny that you should say that because yeah, that, yeah, is, yeah. That, that is what they recover. They, they yeah. recover more walking. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, this, this. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people are looking into this, but I know it could get. We, yeah, I think the the first couple people that mention this are going to get a little bit of backfire, and that's normal. That's that's mm. science. That's what happens. But because yes. it's political, you know, because then you're now saying, yeah. "Oh, you guys have gone gung ho, and you've kind of inadvertently." Yeah. You, you may have. I'm yeah. not saying that you, have, but you. As in, there's yeah. evidence to suggest that maybe actually, if you, if you had not had so many ventilators mm-hmm. and just put people on ventilators on day one, day two, they may not have died. Um, and you can look at that trend of the amount of people that have died at home versus the amount of people that have died in hospital, and the amount of people that have died in nursing homes versus the amount of people that have mm-hmm. died in hospital. And you see that there's an increased risk of dying in the hospital. You, you see what I'm saying? Now, obviously, you can say, oh, well, the sickest people come to hospital, so that's why. And ag- agreed, but it's definitely something we have to look at. And that's how science works. You've got to look at the evidence. You've got to study the battlefield and the effects of the battlefield and say, okay, yeah, this is the area of the battlefield where, you know, we're losing or this is the area where it's more difficult. And that's what I'm, that's what we're trying to do. And so to me, that's a, that's a, that's the most controversial new thing that may come up in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Um, and it's back into backlash. To be honest, but we'll see. I hope it's not the, the, the I hope it's not true. But I've, from my scientific glasses on, I think um, yeah, they 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 inadvertently. I think you know we could have done things better with the ventilators. I think we could have been a bit less aggressive because yeah. um, I feel like it did. Come, like if you look at Boris Johnson, for instance, he wasn't on a ventilator. No. You see what I'm saying? So um, then, and he was well, anyway. yeah. That would be my conspiracy theory. So oh yeah, yeah, but you know we're not gonna. <laughs> we're gonna go. but, you know, but you know he wasn't put on a ventilator, but he was given significant support. You know he was encouraged to walk around. He was he was given a bit of oxygen to help him breathe and told to stand up and get up and walk. Do you see what I'm saying? Whereas I have friends of ethnic minorities who are doctors who were just day one they walked into the hospital, day two they on a the ventilator, day four they died. So it makes you think. Okay, wait, hold on a second. Um, you know, was there? Well, okay, let me not go into. Yeah, but it's not. I don't want to go into the conspiracy of it or anything like that. Mm. But I'm just. It's a it's a trend. We have got the evidence now, so we're looking into it and we publish it. That's that's how that's what we do, and, and we let society see that this is the trend of things. You make your decision based on the evidence. I would be very keen to see that piece of research. Yeah, that, that, genuinely. That, yeah, that, that's 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 genuinely intrigued. But it will, it, I think whichever way you play it, that it's going to be problematic. Regard whichever way you play it, because it will, it, it, yeah, it will, it will, it will pull on a few heartstrings and stuff. And, and medicine is like that, you know. You you try to help, and sometimes I'm not saying they got it wrong on this occasion. I'm not saying that yet, but you know, it can go either way. Sometimes you're trying to help someone, and then it might you look back and you think, oh, maybe I should not have done it like that, you know. But yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, without looking at any facts and figures i've got no data in front of me i'm just going to speak again anecdotally yeah and i'm going to recall things from memory now so 
across the globe, I think the impact of COVID-19 in terms of infections and in terms of number of deaths per geography yeah. is just odd. <laughs> You've got countries such as New Zealand, okay. who relatively or comparatively to the UK and US at least, have not been impacted nowhere near as much as the UK and, and the US. You look at China, considering the number of people that live in China and how many people were infected officially and how many people died officially, those numbers look comparatively low when compared to the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Sweden, which is, I think, one of the few countries, certainly in the Western world, who decided, you know what, we're not going to bother doing a lockdown. I think people are sensible enough. And comparatively, mm. you know, using the UK as the main comparator, they haven't been impacted in the same way as the UK and the US. Then we look at Italy and Spain, who were impacted very badly. But then you look at Germany, Mm -hmm. and of course they were impacted by COVID-19, but compared to the UK, they were considerably less impacted. Now, I'm not going to even try to ask uh, a question here, which says... Why are some questions, uh, I'll start that again. Why are some countries impacted more than others? Because there's a million variables to even consider that question. But as just a statement, I just find it terribly odd. Mm. Like, you can't draw any links. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, people much more intelligent, than me, statisticians, doctors, medical professionals, you name it, economists, uh, government counsellors, all the rest, they're going to be responsible, World Health Organization, they're going to be responsible for trying to to draw correlations. But I just find the whole thing odd. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not sure if anyone's got any generic statements related to that, but I I just can't get my head around how how it's affecting different places so differently mm. and the the item that isn't being discussed and i'm just going to call it out yeah. is africa yeah. <laughs> right. and this is probably this needs it's probably its own episode mm. but yeah. yeah considering the perception that as a continent um, Africa has poor healthcare mm-hmm. as a generalization and, and as an assumption that there's a lot of the major cities from within the continent of Africa mm-hmm. are extremely densely populated, mm-hmm. overpopulated in some cases. Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah. 
the impact of COVID-19 on the entire continent mm -hmm. is almost negligible mm -hmm. compared to the UK and the US. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody have a clue why? As a general, random, anecdotal question. Mm. Um, I think that it's quite, it's too early for us to, um, judge figures, denominations, and stuff like that. And I say this because, um, as you've said, we can already rightly see that China's figures don't seem to add up compared to, um, the U USA and the, and the UK. And, um, you know, we've had issues even in the UK with reporting figures. Um, from home, healthcare, people dying from, in, in their homes and, you know, those figures weren't added into a yeah. later date and so forth and so, so forth. Yeah. And such. Um, I think if most of the countries are having issues with reporting figures correctly, ourselves included, personally, I wouldn't really rely too much on the current figures. So I'm 100% honest. I do say that because, um, testing, has been a struggle for us in the UK, even if we look at ourselves. Um, I actually um, have gone through a drive-by corona test. Um, and I can tell you myself, um, firsthand, that I know 100% that that test is not accurate. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah, reason why I say that is because... Wow. Yeah, um, that's very common. The reason why I say that is because when you're when you go through the drive-through test, your hands are hard that you're... Your, your hand is a number. Everybody's given a number. And then when you get to the drive-by swabbing and you actually get to swab, that number doesn't exist anymore. They then come up, swab your mouth, and they give you a card. Um, but that card doesn't have my name on it. It doesn't also have the original number that was given to me, so there is no way for them to know that that was my test. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah. So... Um, and this is the debate I had with my sister. So three of us went to the test that day, my partner, my sister, and myself. They didn't ask us their names. They didn't ask me for the number that I had prior. And there was no way they could have known that that was my card. But all of our tests came up that negative. Statistically, it has been shown that the drive-by tests are not as accurate as the hospital tests anyway. Um, so I say this to say that, that we've struggled with numbers even in the UK. Um, yeah. We've struggled with getting consistent and accurate numbers in the UK. Therefore, I would say that we can't rely on the world statistics if even here we're having issues with reliable sources and reliable information and reliable numbers. Yeah. How do we expect every other continent or every other country to also have accurate statistics yeah. Yeah, if we true. have seen yeah. China with inaccurate information? So we're assuming. Um, I'm. My assumption is is that nobody has up-to-date and correct and accurate information. I would say when the pandemic is near enough going, getting to an end, we will probably have a more realistic number of how many deaths um, there were per country then, because then they would have to, you know, probably go deep and really tally people's numbers and really try to... Fair point. You understand? I think now yeah. it's, we are just living in, in a kind of expectation of we're trusting these numbers. But like I said, even within our own system, we weren't reporting people that were dying at home. So we know that our, even our system wasn't accurate. So yeah. 
So we can't expect everybody else to, to also be accurate if we are ourselves as a nation are not accurate. Therefore, my assumption is, is that nobody's going to be accurate. And it won't be until this um, pandemic is over or, you know, drawing to a closer end that we will get a true number of the real statistics per country, per, per body, per, you know, yeah. everything. I mean, Africa, even as a nation, I mean, we we're, we were supposed to do track and tracing because I'm working on the track and tracing team now and we still are struggling to go live with that. So yeah. to track and trace in, in Africa, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's just, yeah. So we are, we are ourselves struggling with tracking and tracing, whereas the Chinese people have had, had that, you know, nailed at the, from the beginning with, you know, the phone apps and whatnot and tracing individuals and XYZ. And we, if we are struggling even with tracing, then how do you expect, you know, as you said, a, a, a um, continent that doesn't have the best infrastructure to be able to, to track and trace? It, it's, you know, generally, it is what it is. I think we, can't put much emphasis on just at this moment. I think it's just a okay. figure that we can kind of use as a guide. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't think that we can, you know, solidify. It might well be that, you know, New Zealand's numbers are a lot higher, or Sweden's numbers are a lot higher than been reported, but we won't know probably till a later date. Or it could just be at the end that we won't, we won't really know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there true. is no law true. in place say that numbers, we demand numbers that are accurate at this time or else X, Y, Z will happen with this. So it's more a case of whatever the country wants to do and report, they can do and report. Well, well you make a very valid point and that's something that I believe um, the powers that be yeah. at the World Health Organization should yeah. be responsible 100%. for uh, and holding countries and, and governments to account for. Uh, so, so, so Michael, what's your view on on, on, on the global sort of trends with, with COVID? Uh, yeah, there's clear disparis- the, the discrepancies uh, and a big disparity between the effect of COVID in different countries. There's no doubt about that. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I debate this with a lot of people all the time. The, the one thing you can't deny or the one thing you can't lie about um, and the easiest thing to trace is deaths, fatalities. Mm-hmm. So that's the easiest thing to trace because actually we don't, the world hasn't really got a capacity to have a large number of deaths all of a sudden. You can't just hide dead bodies. It's not that easy anymore. Um, So the fatality rates is the best way to kind of see how, how badly affected a country is Um, not in terms of individuals that are infected, but in terms of how the virus is affecting the population. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the best thing to use at the moment uh, in terms of assessing how different countries are doing. Uh, in terms of tracing individuals, it's very difficult. It's incredibly difficult because there's so many other social economic factors involved with, with, with tracing people. And so I, I definitely agree the Western world are going to be ahead of the game when it comes to uh, trying to at least trace people and, 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 and track people and, 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 and get an accurate and up-to-date um number of who's infected and, and 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 the infectivity rates and stuff the r rate specifically so the western world is going to be way ahead of that because socioeconomically they have the the, the tools needed to, to do that on a large scale you know china yeah. demonstrated that they're, they're one of the the, the the forefront powers when it comes to technology mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why they're able to do that um given they've also got a large population 
but you know the fact that they've got that advancement in technology it means that they can trace trace people more more easily or more readily than than you would if you were living in Gambia for instance yeah. um, but when you look at the fatality rate there's definitely disparity so the fatality rate in Africa is so I mean it's significantly lower significantly lower and 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 i know that we're not finished with covid yet by a long shot but if yeah. you look at the, the the gap between wuhan italy spain france uk us you know yeah. it, it, it that all popped off really within six weeks so i think in february everyone was like wow china they're, they're, they're in trouble then by march it was or early March, late February, it was Italy. They were like, look, guys, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then by, you know, end of March, it was UK and France and US. You know, I'm talking about a six-week period mm-hmm. where yeah. it really popped off. But it's been a good three months now. And Africa's kind of just hovered. Yeah. And their death rates haven't really soared. So that 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 that, that does tell you something. That does show you that there's a disparity in the way, in the effect on, on the population. You know, yeah. not saying that people haven't died. You know, there 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 have been you know deaths and and fatalities definitely, but not at the same rate. No way, nowhere near at the same rate. Yeah. But do you also um, think it could, it could be a relation to the strains of COVID as well? And that's the Maybe problem. Like I, hot, hotter country. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they were hoping for, isn't it? They were yeah. hoping for that. They were hoping that oh, you know, the summer's going to come and it'll wipe out coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the flu. But my my impression is that this is not the flu. Um, and, I, and I think no, no, people, it's not the flu. And no. if you look at, it's a virus, but when you look at, um, for instance, the blood tests. So I was looking at the blood tests of every individual that has a diagnosis of coronavirus, yeah? And you'll see this in your hospital as well, yeah. Margaret. Every person that has coronavirus has a low white cell count. That is, um, they have low, uh, so white cells are, the, are yeah, the, the, yeah. the components of your blood that fight off infection, right? Mm-hmm. So what normally happens is when you have a, an infection, like a flu or any kind of infection like that, your white cells go up because your yeah. body's deploying more soldiers. So if you take a sample of the blood, you see loads of these soldiers. And you, you know if you see loads of soldiers on the street, you know that there's a war, right? But yeah. what happens is the opposite. So when you get coronavirus, your the, the soldiers in your blood in your blood in your blood go down. If you if you see what I'm saying, white cells that's supposed yeah. to go up to fight them, they go down. And the, the wow. other disease that is known to do that, the other viral disease that's known to do that is HIV. Mm-hmm. In HIV, your white cells go down, so you become more prone to infections. And that's how people die in HIV. So their white cells go down, so they become more prone to something that they would easily have been able to fight before. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you would never call HIV a virus. You would never say HIV is affected by weather, but you do know that HIV is transmitted by some kind of contact, some kind of direct transmission. Mm-hmm. So it's more similar to that kind of direct transmission mm-hmm. dropping your ability to fight off infection route than it is of you know a, a simple lung respiratory viral disease like flu that like you get every year. It's completely the way it works is completely different. It's a new phenomenon. And I think we're just not quite understanding it yet. Um, we're just not quite understanding it yet. Um, we need, yeah, we need to really sit down and think, look at it a bit better, look at all these trends, write them down, and, and see where the dots connect, and understand this enemy that we can't physically see but we know is around. You know, um, yeah. But it's a very odd disease. I can't. It's like a mixture of HIV and some kind of air 
lung mm. disease slash slash nerve. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's I've never. It's it's really it, it's abnormal. I can't, you know, it's it's abnormal. It doesn't behave. Yeah. People are dying from it. It's not like it takes six to seven months or one year or whatever. No. Yeah, days, days. It's un, it's unheard of. You know, even HIV, you don't die within days. No. Do you know what I mean? You don't you don't die within days. And the thing about HIV, it stays in your system. So there's there's now a question that does COVID nineteen does it stay in your system? Mm-hmm. Can it reactivate at a later date? Yeah. So these are things that we don't know. So so this is this 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 is making me think about other things I scratch my head about. Again, I'm just I'm just a, I'm just a regular guy mm-hmm. just trying to make sense of something that I know nothing about, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's just like when you hear statements from the mainstream media yeah such as people may be able to prove their covid19 immunity <laughs> so they're thinking hang on hang on hang on do we even know that that's a thing yeah, like yeah. do we know that someone can be immune do we know that if someone's got it yeah that a you can actually prove they had it yeah. a yeah. and b you can prove that because they've got it they cannot be reinfected and they cannot Infect someone else. Do we know that? No. Because I've missed that at least if, if we do. But then, why, why why can anyone now say, oh, you know, people can prove their immunity? Can't remember the publication. I'm sure I heard it. Again, I'll call it anecdotal for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. But yeah. it's very dangerous for anybody at this point to to make any firm statements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. About. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you're so right. We're still in the research process at the moment. So we, we haven't, yeah. we're not in the, the final process. We've been in the research process and everybody's still trying to research. And, and you know, I was reading um, a study where in China and Wuhan, there was somebody that still had, um, was still testing positive for COVID-19 up to, to, I think it was 49 days later. So, you mm. know, the question is, was it that they they um, had COVID and then it went and then it came back? Was the anti did the the person's antibodies build up and then come back for only a short period of time, or is it they've had coronavirus the whole time and and it hasn't actually left the system, or was it just dormant predominantly in the person's body and basically at intervals it could it could be you know rear its ugly head again in one's life. Wow. So it's just this is the thing we haven't had it long enough to know that. I mean, it could possibly be that it it, it lies dormant in somebody's body and then something can trigger it again and then it, it activates one again. You know, yeah. it, it, there's no well, that does sound like HIV. Yeah, I mean, there's no that at this point we are still in the research process. Nobody knows that. I mean, the government advice at the beginning was that we had to self isolate for seven days, isn't it? But then research has shown and proven that people can still have symptoms up to fourteen days. So it's it, it, it's literally a a a mindful of speculation. We, nobody knows yeah. because it's all in research. This is the thing. I think the yeah. testing that they're doing now, um, for um, you know, um, for the the treatment for COVID nineteen, should I say, are uh, probably give us more clues. Um. As to how the antibodies would work, how long it would stay in the system, how long somebody could possibly be immune to this disease. 
Um, yeah. Short term or long term. It would be nice to know. I mean, I would. What I really thought the government was aiming for was the antibody tests. They do say that they've started that process, but I haven't heard anything about it since. Um, it would be nice to to, to get accurate antibody tests. Yeah. Um, yeah. To know, you know, that if a person did have it and did it come back or whatever. But at this point, we just don't know. I mean, personally, I personally would always tell people prevention is better than a cure because, I mean, what the media don't talk about is those that have recovered. Um, some of them still have long-term lung damage, long-term, you know, almost still along. So, you know, what you do with people like that, you know, if it does come back in their life or they can be reinfected, will it mean they will die the next time? Mm. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just it, yeah, it, it's, it's so many unanswered questions. So yeah. it's just, yeah. are they strong enough to fight the next time? Or will the body give up? Or will the body decide to do the opposite and fight and because they've already had it? So that, you know, the body's used to the resistance. So it can put up a good fight. You know, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot that we don't know. You're 100%. There's a lot that we don't know. And um, I think just watch, watch this space and ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we're all in this together. So write things down. Anything that doesn't make sense, you know, mm-hmm. research about it. You know, in an age where we can actually mm-hmm. look up things, you know. Um, yeah. A lot of the science platforms that have like uh, scientific papers now have all become free to the public. So, you know, if you want to read up like scientific papers, um, or, or you want to see what certain research is, you know, the, the information is all out there. Um, you know, Google Google Scholar is one. Um, PubMed is another. Uh, eMedline is another, you know. Or you could just type in, you know, scientific journals. on, And, and they're all available now. So there's stuff out there. We're trying to get the answers. We just don't know what they are. Um, we have an idea, but we're not, we're not, we're not there yet. I mean, if this thing mutates, what happens? <laughs> you know, that's my, that's my fear. <laughs> that's that's the only thing that really makes me like, you know, because the Spanish flu mutated and came back and hit the hit the kids or the young young men and women, and then you know that that it became yeah, and it had a similar mechanism where it lowered your immunity, so it just and, and then sent you into high hyperdrive afterwards, and so it was just. Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, at the moment, things are better than they have been for the last couple of weeks or months, yeah. you know, so we're grateful for that. But there's a lot we don't know, man. There's a lot we don't know. So, you know, we're still looking into things. Well, with that in mind, Margaret, I mean, you've been on the front line as as, as Michael. Mm-hmm. And from your experience, Margaret, is there anything the average member of the public can do, you know, any advice you'd give to anyone that's you know still really anxious about COVID nineteen and and getting infected. Is there any bit of advice over and above what mm-hmm. the government have told us to do that you would add uh, to make people feel more comfortable or to you know reduce their risk further? I mean, like Michael says, um, you know the, the limited part that the research we have at the moment is the correlation between vitamin D and what I would say to most of the yeah. community to you know increase yeah. their intake of vitamin D, try yeah, as much as possible yes, to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the government in the UK hasn't been for the masks, but you know the the research study because I actually read the research study from Wuhan in China. Yeah. They, they published and said that you know masks actually do work. 
they, they yes, are, they. you know, um, a reduction in risk. The more masks you wear, I mean, wearing a mask to go to the shop for five, ten minutes isn't going to do the coronavirus. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah. uh, you know, since I wear a mask every time I leave the house, even when I, when I go to work, um, and then when I get into hospital, I don't, I run into it, I don't. <laughs> until I get into the ward. Um, yeah. but yeah, um, wear a mask, increase your risk of uh, vitamin D and, and really genuinely just try as possible, your possible best to limit unnecessary activities. Like, if you don't need to be in a park full of 1,000 people, then why are you there? If you don't yeah. need yeah. to be, you know, yeah. at the beach with, at the moment, I heard, I haven't, I've seen in the news reports of beach, like, why are you there? I've seen people that go to the supermarkets with their young children and I just think that's absolutely absurd. If you are in, I mean, one thing being in the hospital, obviously Michael is a, a medical surgeon, you will know that, you know, um, when you're in ICU unit, um, because there's a lot of ventilators and there's, because a lot of heat and stuff, it tends to be quite warm. So, COVID-19 just tends to be a bit more airborne in, in that, you know, systematic area. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So because it becomes a little bit more airborne, you've got to go in there with the full PPE and everything, including the visor. Yeah. Um, so for now, I know there's no proper research, but, you know, if somebody does have COVID-19 symptoms, and you can imagine being in the supermarket again where it's hot, quite sweaty, Everyone's breathing in the same air. It's limited oxygen, limited space. It might be one step too far with paranoia. So you've got your young children in there at risk. Um, unnecessarily, then you just go in there on your own. I just think it's not needed for young children to go shopping. One person per family is, is, is necessary. And if you are working in a hospital or you are working, um, Front line, as Martin said, it's literally at home. I have the exact same routine he does. I come home, um, I have kids. My son is um, classified as vulnerable because he has strong asthma. I have to basically, uh, take off my, um, my uniform yep. straight into the bath. I bath with death, death toll. It might seem a bit, um, OTT, but I mean, gotta do it. Come out. Kids don't touch me for it gives for the next the following morning. It's just a routine that I stick with. Keep it on to them. My son has a phone now. I call him if he needs something. I know it's it's very OTT, but in life I always say prevention yeah, is always yeah. better than better a cure. So yeah. that that's pretty much the advice I would give. If you don't have to be somewhere, why are you there? Irrelevant traveling, unnecessary events. Because I can appreciate. Most people are not on the front line, so they don't see these things. When you don't, sometimes when you don't see something in reality, you, you think it's a scam, you have these conspiracy theories. I mean, we've all got, <coughs> you know, it's a lie, it's fake, it's false, or whatever, but I can assure people that it is 100% real. And, yeah, it um, yeah. you know, the more practical people are, I think the more lives we can take. Well, thank you. Thanks for that, Margaret. Um, and Mike, what what advice would would you give? Um, 
you know, I think Margaret Margaret said it said it all really. Um, you know, be be safe, take precautions because we don't know what we're dealing with yet, and you don't want to be the person that's caught out. You know, so so be safe, take precautions. Um, people have lost family members, um, so you know, I would definitely say just be aware, especially for younger people. You know, if you're below the age of I don't know forty and yeah, you're able to just go out anyhow and do anything, a lot of people are, are carriers of this thing. And it just it just takes it to hit a, a vulnerable person, and it's an issue. So just be cautious, you know. Uh, just be hygienic, and 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 uh, keep 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 conscious of the fact that you know masks can be beneficial, especially when you're out in public. Wash your hands regularly, and and try and get out of the habit of like touching your face or, or touching other people's faces. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's definitely something that you need to be you need to be careful about. Um, I'll definitely encourage everyone to be part of the solution as well. You know, a lot of the, the ideas that I had for research came from people I was just having conversations with that weren't even necessarily medical. So, yeah. you know, we're all part of the solution here. It's not just a hospital issue. It's a life issue. And, you know, we've got so many intelligent minds uh, all over the place. So, you know, uh, you know, if there's something that comes to mind, it's not silly. You know, it's an idea. And, and we just have to test that idea. And you never know. You might be onto something. So, um I'll definitely say people to keep their hats on, their thinking hats on, and any trends that they see, you know, raise them. You know, don't don't be yeah, uh, yeah don't be don't be a silent, don't be a spectator. You know, be be a part of the solution because uh, we're all at war at the end of the, at the end of the day. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, sorry. So, I think we pretty much come to the end of this episode. Uh, but what I'd like to say first of all is that all of the sources that were quoted in this podcast will be available yeah. on the flightstroke.com website yeah. um, also there will be a transcript of this uh, podcast that will be available on the flightstroke.com website as well so I'm not sure if you Michael or Margaret have any uh, social media handles that you'd want to promote or not but if you do you've got a free plug for a second or two <laughs> me no not for not for this particular topic so for other topics maybe no for me you could um if there's any questions or any um i'm trying to stay connected with people on instagram so yeah. uh, uh dr michael akinfala so that's dr dot michael underscore akinfala so you can catch me on there and if there's any questions or any like any research that you're interested in like you know um, looking into uh, sometimes it's hard if you're not in the medical field to like ask a question about something that's medical and try yeah. and like be involved in research and stuff like that so that's that's one connect that you have because i'm open to even though I, I work as a surgeon i'm open to researching in all fields coronavirus so at the moment so um, you know if anyone's interested in getting some research or being involved in some research or asking research questions um, they can hit me they can hit me on that excellent and to all the listeners please leave a comment on your podcast platform or on the flystruck.com website let us know what you think let us know what you thought was interesting and uh, we'll come back to you so thank you very much 